Verse 23, for I am aware of all of his regulations and I do not reject his rules. I may disobey them <laughs> and I might seek what I want at different times, but I have not rejected them. I have not rejected them and said those are bad rules. Those are screwed up rules. I don't agree with your laws, God. I'm going to just follow my heart all the time and do whatever I want. And every single time I do whatever I want, when somebody calls me, I'm going to justify it. Saul did that. Saul disobeyed the regulations of God, and then when God called him out on him, he rejected the regulations and said, no, 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 you're wrong, God. Really what I did was okay because I'm going to do this with it. But when David sinned, he rebelled and he disobeyed the laws and broke the laws, but when they were called out, he never said to Nathan, no, you're wrong. Killing people and adultery is not wrong. He never said that. When Abigail called him out, he never said, no, you're wrong. Extortion and killing people for not giving you food, that's not wrong. He never did. He never rejected the laws of God. He broke them. He disobeyed them. But he never rejected them. And those are two very big different things. And we can't confuse those. Yes, if there's people in your life that are breaking the law, they must be dealt with. The justice of God demands it. But we can't treat every lawbreaker as if they're rejecting the laws. Those are two completely different things. And we know the difference. Those who reject are rebellious. Those who break are sinners. And they're flawed. The question is, do they want to come back to God? And that's what you deal with. So Yahweh rewarded me for my godly deeds. He took notice of my blameless behavior. You proved to be loyal to the one who is faithful. You proved to be trustworthy to the one who is innocent. You proved to be reliable to the one who is blameless but you prove to be deceptive to the one who is perverse. He says very clearly that God deceives people when they're disobedient. You prove yourself to be loyal to those who are loyal to you, and you prove to be deceptive to those who disobey you. Now that's going to, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm just going to throw this under your theological grenade under your door and walk away. I'm going to deal with this in Kings, because Kings is where we're really going to get into this idea. But right now, I would just challenge you. Once again, this is one of those other places where God kind of jumps out of your God box and doesn't apologize for it. Think about how God deals with people when they sin. What does Romans chapters 1 and 2 say? That they pursued sexual immorality, idolatry, unnatural desires, and God did what? He gave them over to it. God often delivers the sin into your life that you're pursuing. If you want to pursue sexual morality, fine. There it is. Because we know people who pursue sexual morality ends up destroying them. You want to pursue lying and cheating and deceiving? Fine. There it is. Because we know people who live a life like that ends up destroying them. I had a fellow teacher once say something like, the worst thing that God could ever do to you is give you what you want. Because our hearts are evil and they pursue sinful desires. And when we get those things, they destroy us. That's why God said, don't do those. Not because he randomly came up with a list of rules and norms to make our lives difficult, but because he designed the universe to function a certain way. And if you function contrary to it, it will destroy you. And he loves you too much. And it will destroy your relationship with him and your relationship with other people. He doesn't want that for you. And so if you keep going, he will warn you. He will call you back. He will show you grace after grace. But there is a point where God says, fine, 
I'm going to let you pursue it. Because the idea is that once you pursue it so deeply that it ends up swallowing you and destroying you, then you'll remember all life with God was so much better than this new idol that I've adopted. And you'll come back. But he always gives you over into the very thing that you pursued. You pursue the Canaanites? Fine. God says in Deuteronomy, I will give you over to their idols. I'll give you over to their culture. I'll give you over to their practices. You pursue homosexuality? Fine, I'll give you over to it. So, if you are a liar and a deceiver, and you go out and destroy people's lives, and you deceive them and cheat them, then God will give you over to it. And he will allow you to be deceived in return. He will allow you to be cheated in return. He'll allow you to be destroyed by that kind of an idea in return. And it's not that God is out there just lying to people. And the idea, too, is rebellion. And as we go into the kings, I'm going to really show you this, that he doesn't deal this way with everybody. Because later when we get to Timothy, Timothy is going to say you're, you're, you're faithful to those who are faithful, but you're loyal to those who even are unfaithful to you. That even when we're not faithful, even when we're not completely faithful or loyal to him, he's still loyal to us and faithful to us. This kind of giving over into deception comes more from the hard-hearted, shake-your-fist-at-God rebellion, I do not care. I know exactly who God is. I know exactly what he wants from me. But I do not care in any kind of way. And you live that life for a long time. And it usually is dealt on people of power. Because remember, David is not talking about everyday normal people all the time. He's talking about his world. He's talking about people of power. We're not just talking about a God that just hands you over into your sins and allows it to destroy you completely if you are blameless, if you're pursuing God. When you are not loyal to him at different times of your life, he's still faithful to you to take care of you. What we're talking about is people who don't care. And those are the people that he gives over. And, and you need to understand that Romans should not be read as like, you're going to be handed over. Like, you, 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 you tell a lie one time, and God just hands you over into this life of lying and destroys you. Remember, we, grace always trumps the law. What we're talking about is people who are pursuing lifestyles and total unrepentance. When they're called out, they absolutely do not care, and they shake their fist at God. They shake their fist at everybody continuously, and God gives them over. And what God is saying is if you are pursuing God and you're trying to be faithful and you're disobedient, then he's faithful to you even when you're not. But if you shook the fist at God, like Numbers says, the high-handed sin, and you sought power, then he will give you over to your own deceptions. He'll give you over to your own lies. He'll give you over into your own corruption and greed and power. And so it's not that God's out there lying to people. He's still trustworthy. John Piper says, now, I don't know how you feel about him, but I'm not endorsing everything John Piper says, but he's still a great pastor with lots of great, awesome things to say. He says that God is always trustworthy, always true, always reliable, but don't mess with him. That's the idea. And this is what David is saying. Because David has seen how God handed, remember, Saul shook the fist at God. And God handed Saul over into his own deceptions his own paranoia schizophrenia, his own jacked-up worldview, and it ended up destroying him. But yet David has constantly repented over and over and over again, and he's never been handed over into that stuff. And even when he was handed over into the consequences of his son's, his son's rebellion, 
He was never handed over completely into total abandonment by God. And that's what David's talking about. I live in the world of kings. And kings shake their fist at God. And I've seen them handed over into their lies, their deceptions, and their corruptions over and over and over again. And though I am worthy of being killed according to the law for my sins, I am blameless. I have pursued God. I have repented. I have tried to make things right. And therefore, God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. And he hands people over to deception who shake their fist at God. And I may have a lot of problems in my life. And I may have a lot of issues. And I am not marriageable material for any of your daughters. But I have tried to be faithful to God. And when I haven't, it has bothered me. And it has mattered to me. And that's what we need to look at. When, when those people come into our lives, when our friends, when our family members, when, when the strangers off the street, it's so easy to look at certain lifestyles and certain neighborhoods and just immediately think, you're so jacked up. you got this addiction and this addiction. You've done that. And, and when you walk with them, you realize there's brokenness. And we need to look at their heart. And when we come to them, and we call them out in a loving, gentle Jesus way. How do they respond? And they respond like David does? Then there's great grace for them. If they respond like Saul does, well, then you need to go to the Holy Spirit with prayer and ask how this needs to be dealt with. And that, that's important to understand. Is that the key to how we deal with people is how broken they feel. How they repent how they feel when they're called out. And even all that toughness and power a lot of times comes from broken people. And this is what David is saying. This is how God looks at me. Verse 29. Indeed, you are my lamp, Yahweh. Yahweh illuminates the darkness around me. Indeed, with your help, I can charge against any army. By my God's power, I can jump over the wall. The one true God acts in a faithful manner. Yahweh's promise is reliable. He is a shield to all those who take shelter in him. So notice that David says, yes, you hand people over to their own deceptions. You are deceptive to those who disobey you and rebel against you. But he also says that God's promises are trustworthy and true. That when God does make promises, he never, ever, ever deceives you, changes his mind on them, goes back on his word. And David's making a very clear distinction there. The character of God is trustworthy and true. But at the same time, the character of God is just. And he will hand you over to your sins. Don't mess with him. But remember that all of his soldiers called him the lamp of Israel. Yet David in his praises turns around and calls God his lamp. Which means that David has seen God as his ultimate lamp, and that's why the light has been shining out of him, that his soldiers can see the light and call him the lamp. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is making. Welcome to the beginnings of you are the light of the world, and a light on a hill needs to be seen. This is coming from the First Testament. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus got it from David. I'm just saying it's rooted in the inspiration of God way back in the, the First Testament. And so David has seen Yahweh as his lamp, pursued Yahweh as his lamp, and Yahweh has blessed him with this. 
Indeed, verse 32, who is God beside Yahweh? Who is the protector beside our God? The one true God is mighty refuge. He removes the obstacles in my way and he gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can be bent even to the, bend even the strongest bow. You give me your protective shield. Your willingness to help enables me to prevail. You widen my path. My feet do not slip. I chase my enemies and destroy them. I do not turn back until I wipe them out. I wipe them out and beat them to death. <laughs> you imagine singing that in church? <laughs> Praise Jesus. I wipe them out until they beat them to death. But he acknowledges that God's the one who's able to do them. God built him to be a warrior. And God has enabled him to be a warrior. And at this time in Israel's history, God wants warriors. Because there are sinful people that need to be dealt with. They cry out, and there is no one to help them. They cry out to Yahweh, but he does not answer them. I grind them as fine as the dust of the ground. I crush them and stomp on them like clay. In the streets, you rescue me from hostile armies, and you preserve me as a leader of nations. People over whom I have no, have no authority are now my subjects. Foreigners are powerless before me. When they hear my exploits, they submit to me. Foreigners lose their courage. They shake with fear as they leave their strongholds. Yahweh is alive. My protector is praiseworthy. The God who delivers me is exalted as king. Notice that he's acknowledging that everyone around me looks at me in fear and trembles and serves me and is subjugated to me because Yahweh is my king. I have the power that I have over these nations because I have submitted myself to Yahweh as my king. And that's the key. That is the purpose of the book of Psalms right there. That is the purpose. Now, that doesn't mean every leader throughout all of history should go out and grind their enemies into the dust. But we do, in a certain way, in spiritual warfare through prayer and taking every thought captive and fortresses and all that kind of stuff. It's just our enemy is not flesh and blood anymore, but it's the spiritual principalities. Yahweh is alive, my protector. He is praiseworthy. The God who delivers me is exalted as king. The one true God completely vindicates me. He makes nations submit to me. He delivers me from my enemies. You snatch me away from all those who attack me. You rescue me from violent men. So I will give you thanks, O Yahweh, before the nations. I will sing praise to you. He gives me, he gives his chosen king magnificent victories. He is faithful to to his chosen ruler or his anointed one. To David and to his descendants forever. Our God is a God of role reversals. Remember the very beginning, one of the dominant themes that are going throughout Samuel as Hannah sings that God reverses the roles of people, the fates of people. He takes the low and the poorly and he lifts them up to heights. Hannah, David. He takes the prideful and the strong and the mighty and he brings them down low. Saul, Nabal. And David is acknowledging, I was in the depths of the grave and I was in Sheol and the storm was around me and I was about ready to die. But I cried out to God. He lifted me up. He made me a king. He brought the nations under my servanthood rather than killing me now. And I have been made great and mighty because I have made Yahweh my king. And that's the point of this song. That David may be flawed. He may have sins. 
But David acknowledges that he is where he is because Yahweh has put him there. He acknowledges that he is where he is because he has tried to be faithful to God and he has made Yahweh king to the best of his sinful, flawed nature that he can and the culture that he lives in. And in that sense, he is blameless. And in that sense, he's going to stand before all the nations and give praise to who Yahweh is. That's the Great Commission. And David is acknowledging that everything he has is because of Yahweh. And this is what the narrator wants you to see. The behavior is abhorrible. The behavior deserves consequences. The behavior ruins our trust in David at times. But the heart of this man is a broken man who acknowledges that he's nothing without Yahweh and desperately wants to be right with Yahweh, even if it means his own humiliation, his own confessions, his own openness. And that's why God says he's a man after God's own heart. And that's how we are a man or a woman after God's own heart. And that's what we need to look at other people. Because if we are the image of God, then not only do we praise God for dealing with us in this way, but we must also become the image of the people around them and deal with them in the same way that God deals with us. And that's the parable of the deck that has been canceled. And that's when Jesus also has us pray, the Lord's Prayer, and it says, and we will be forgiven as we forgive other people. We are called to be the image of God and operate in the exact same way that he operates with us as we encounter other people. Now, that is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Because I know my personality tends to be a little bit more black and white, and you made the bed, you lie in it. And so it is throughout the many, many years that God has softened me and made me a lot more aware of grace. But I'm still a work in process. <laughs>